0: Welcome to episode 51 of the Addiction Solution Podcast. I am Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sharon, Stephen Slate, and I will be discussing how people break free from the addiction and recovery trap. We offer two ways to work privately with a Freedom Model instructor. One is at our beautiful St. Jude Retreat, and we also offer Zoom classes with our at-home Freedom Model private instruction. You can get information about our retreat at soberforever.net and thefreedommodel.org and about our at-home private instruction at leaveaddictionbehind.com, or you can always call us at 888-424-2626. And Stephen has a really great topic that we're going to talk about today, um, addiction as a social contagion.
1: Yeah, and social contagion is basically a behavior that gets passed between people. It gets transmitted by you seeing somebody do something uh, that you haven't seen before, right? Now, I mean, this is the reason, obviously, you want your kids to be with the good crowd, right?
0: Right, right. that's always the peer pressure. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want
1: them to be among the ones that do the drugs, right? You want them to be among the ones that are goody goody, I guess. Yeah. Right, <laughs> um, and um, you know, but it's it social behavior uh, social contagion or behavioral contagion it it's a catchy behavior and a classic case of this is suicide clusters we, it, they've been seen all over the place and um, people eventually realized that uh, you shouldn't publicize these suicides um, because people end up copying it
0: Right. 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 The, the more awareness you bring to something, um, the more plausible it becomes for other people to engage in that behavior as well.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I'll, I'll never forget years ago, I um, stopped at uh, the Putney Inn in Vermont with my mother. And uh, one of the guys who worked there is a cop. And we told him we were going to Quiche gorge and he's like that's where everybody commits suicide
0: oh my god (laughs) thanks for letting me know yeah right
1: he's like you're not going there to commit suicide are you um uh but yeah and you know they try to keep that quiet there was a famous case in palo alto california where um a girl or a boy walked in front of the train tracks of a commuter train there and killed himself and um Teachers kind of had sit downs with their kids in the classes, but they tried to keep it quiet in the media, um, you know, knowing that lesson. But uh, the teachers had sit downs with classes. The school offered more counseling for people. Um, then, of course, there's the online. This is 2009, so by that time, right. you can't really keep you can't keep it in the bag. Right. Yeah, right. And so there's obituaries and they're small online um, articles and everybody knows it happened. And then if you look at the articles that were online, everybody from this high school was commenting. And so it it still ends up being a big deal and known to everybody and it still gets communicated. And I guess within about a month, there was another one. Oh, and there were about five, I think five total in this cluster, uh, a bunch of other kids that tried to or were about to, and it became big national news. And and uh, but the point is, like you said, that it becomes a more viable idea in other people's minds. And along with this, once it got into the media, people started talking about um, this is because of the pressure at school because it's a high performing so school. So now,
0: so now you give it a reason. Like a, yeah. a, a plausible, a viable reason that, yeah. well, you you know, if, if you're stressed at school, well, then suicide is an option for you.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, you can't trace this to any one thing. Obviously, it takes a disturbed child uh, to commit suicide. Right. Yeah. Um, but spreading this awareness, you know, is a double edged sword, basically. Um, and as these things get publicized, they get worse. It's not just limited to, um, to suicides, right? We're saying other things.
2: We um, said the
0: same things with the school shootings.
2: Yeah, and you see it with suicides with families, too. All if within you have, families. Yeah, within families. If you, I, I know some people that I grew up with, but uh, one, one brother committed suicide, and then two others followed suit on the anniversaries.
0: Wow. And
2: uh, it was basically all the boys in the family were gone in three years, uh, all by suicide by the same technique as well. It was really um, at the time it was terrifying for me, but um, it, it's now I understand it that it's that kind of thing happens.
1: Yeah, and uh, I was just reading some research in uh, BMC that said, uh, you know, they polled people who would recently had a close person to them commit suicide. And um, basically, they a the, uh, decent portion, about a quarter of them, um, felt they were thinking more about suicide themselves now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they said things like, oh, well, now I know there's a way out. And that kind of is testament to that, you know, if things get too bad, there's a way out. So th- that's testament to the idea that it makes it acceptable. Yeah. I mean, of course, everybody knows suicide is a possibility, but then somehow because somebody near you has done it, it's now a bigger possibility. And um, the same thing happens with, um, with uh, bulimia mm-hmm. uh, amongst teams, athletic teams, yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. start to do that. We Box, know that. I know boxers. Yeah, do. they know. In, in wrestling, I know mm-hmm. that that's done as well. And um, but now then bulimia and uh, what do you call it um, anorexia? anorexia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they those have some history where um, you know there was only ever a handful of cases until uh, we had a high profile case.
2: Was that Karen Carpenter? I think it was, yes, Karen, it was Carpenter. Karen Carpenter. That was such a you huge know? deal back then. And then there was an explosion of cases. I remember that because I was in high school at the time when all that happened. Yeah. And uh, it was so crazy because every health class, there were, there was movies. I remember the movies. Oh, yeah, the movies. The they, after they, school they, they, specials. they talked about it
0: ad nauseum. Those
2: after, after school specials were literally like <laughs> propaganda films yeah. of everything that is... You, that that's just bullshit. Yeah. Do you, do you know? I remember the one with uh, the guy on P C P, and he's yes, that's ju- what I remember oh, yeah, too. Yeah, he's gonna jump off the <laughs> building, and he was Superman. I mean, it's such a ridiculous narrative. It's it's like, but but then people were actually doing it, you know? Right, because yeah. it
0: never. I was funny because I didn't remember when I was in college doing P C P.
2: Like
0: <laughs> like it didn't occur to me until later that I'm like. Never did I want to jump off a building. I yeah. never thought I could fly on PCP. Like, yeah. I don't know how that happens. I
1: mean, I never thought that either. We would just get, like, our senses would be very dulled.
2: know, <laughs> it was this
1: weird high. And we loved it. And that, the other thing, and I mentioned this in, in the book somewhere, was, uh, you know, you always see people freaking out and getting violent on PCP, right. on the TV show Cops. And everybody says that. It makes you violent. And the research shows that it doesn't not at all right. you know and but yet there's some people who do sometimes get violent while taking pcp just like there's some people who i don't know sometimes listen to country music while taking PCP. <laughs> I, you know what i mean like yes these two things happen together sometimes um but it's it's not a result of the drug um but but yeah you know so uh what was i gonna say i had something a minute ago uh, and
2: and then i went off on uh, after school specials oh uh, <laughs> yeah the after. oh well here's the other
1: thing right so we talked about also throughout the book um a good book we've all read which was drunken comportment mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. great book. right and um everybody thinks that um uh, the alcohol lowers inhibitions to make people do all sorts of stuff but you see uh it's ice it's it's isolated by cultures where on this island over here people get violent when they drink they don't do any sex stuff right. and then on this island over here they do all the sex stuff right, <laughs> right. and then in this other place over here they don't do any of it. any of it right and and, and, and
2: aren't these, these islands are fairly in, in, in close as, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean I'm, I'm playing fast and loose with that right, right now Um We're looking at islands. We're looking at isolated mountain people. You know, whether that's the Himalayas, the Andes. These people in the Andes, they they drink uh, um, in a a particular tribe there. They drink one seventy proof, one seventy five proof alcohol.
2: It's like it
1: is uh, lamp fluid. Yeah, (laughs) it's actually lamp fluid, and um, and they have no change in their behavior and. The only, you know, the only explanation for this, and this is even, this was figured out in the 60s, and uh, it's even accepted by the NIAAA today, is that, look, uh, there's some traditions around alcohol use in different places. It's acceptable to behave a certain way when you take alcohol. So that's just normal for people. That's what they feel like doing when they take alcohol, because that's what
2: they've learned.
1: Right. So would you uh, say
2: that that beliefs with drinking and drugging are social contagions? In other words, the narrative that heroin is the most addictive drug uh, creates, well, creates it creates it in communities. Would you say that that's something we could say or no? I you guys I would ag- say so think that right yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah I mean me. it, what we I, call it a contagion when it becomes a bad belief <laughs> yeah, right? right like if the belief was that drug is no problem. Like, I've met a whole bunch of people who just, from, you know, uh, different cultural backgrounds, that don't think of cocaine as a problem. Right. Right. They've taken it and leave leave it. Yeah. You know, or Italians who don't think of alcohol as a problem, they have one drug problem, and that's big and bad. They're able to put that down, and the idea of, our idea of abstinence, right, in the the U.S., abstinence means no substances. Right. Right. Right? None of them right? You had a heroin problem, too bad you can never drink again, right? But they come from a place where that doesn't make any sense. So, they can quit taking Percocets and continue to drink wine, right? right. Because they've got this set of ideas, So sure. In that case, it's not a contagion, it's a good thing, right? right? Yeah, is, the, well, it's the reverse the, contagion. It's, the, it's <laughs> the reverse, it's like protective, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, so... You know, I'm looking at all these things, and, and this is the year of narratives, and Oof, I, I don't. It. I know I don't want to get too crazy on that, but I mean, we just had like a month building up to an idea about um, the post office <laughs> and a picture of them taking mailboxes away, which they do every year, yeah, constantly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? Erupted with a protest at the postmaster general's house. Right. So, you know, these narratives that we put out there matter. Yeah. This is kind of, yes. this is an editorial I've, I'm working on. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's why I'm laying out to you all the points I've been, I've been studying up on in my head right now. Yeah. And, but, you know, so we had this narrative at the beginning of the summer and of course it's not built on nothing. Um, People for years have been told if they have pain, if they have emotional pain, if they're going through some crap and you've had a drug problem, that's going to make you relapse. Uh, Or
2: or let let me give another good social contagion example Mm -hmm. is this where they put all the billboards in poor communities about, um, you know, a kid breaks his ankle. Yep. you know and now uh, would you put your kid on heroin and i yeah. see them all i see them all they're over in, all the, in the in the poverty stricken areas mm-hmm. of, of post industrial new york here in upstate so you see these ads you know um, so, so so now if your kid so is now
0: yep, yeah prescribed any kind of opiate it's like you're you're shooting heroin into their veins they're yeah. equating it like they literally show yeah. a needle yeah, you know, and and, and now st- kids do
1: well. Yeah, it's, and it's, well, it's, you've it's, gotten all the calls over the years from people who think older people who are yeah. afraid they've got an addiction because they're taking pain pills with, yeah, right. cancer, right? Yeah. Right, and, right. and, and, and you're I mean, like talking to them, <laughs> and and doesn't sound like they are, right? Doesn't it sound like doesn't.
0: They, well, especially we had we had this huge awareness. I wanna say it was probably like eight or nine years ago once once we started getting the opioid overdoses and, and they started going up. And so I would get these calls from people in their sixties and seventies and even eighties and they they would tell me, you know, Oh, I'm addicted. I don't know what to do. I'm addicted and I'd say, Well, are you is is it working for you? Like like why were you prescribed it for a for a medical problem? Oh yes, I was prescribed it. I have you know, I have chronic pain and colon cancer or cancer or right, something you know. and and so and I'll say, Well are you taking the medication as prescribed? Yes, I am. And I'm like, well then this sounds like it's not a problem for you. <laughs> right. You know, and they're like, right. but you know, but they're seeing all this the all this yeah. awareness right. of yeah. of, you know, you're an opiate addict and you're gonna die. You know, and so a lot of these people, I would say, why don't you talk to your doctor about it? Yeah. I mean, that's all I can say. Talk to your doctor about yeah.
1: it. Yeah. So
2: didn't sound like they had a problem.
0: No, and some of them had been on it for 20 years or more.
2: Yeah. Yeah, some of no had serious nerve disorders. I mean, we dealt with some, some really sad cases, and, and uh, the narrative had them Terrified. Terrifying. They literally thought they were an addict.
0: When they were just getting the medicine, they absolutely needed to, to have a, to have a
2: quality, quality of, life. of life.
0: Exactly, and that's what I said. Do you think you can live without this this medication? And they'd be like, "I wouldn't be able to move. I wouldn't yeah. be able to do anything. Yeah, I'd be doomed."
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So these ideas are pretty powerful, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you've been people have been interviewing this week and and they brought up the overdose thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, the Washington Post reported uh, back in June that in the months of um, March, April, and May, there was something like a 16% increase in opioid overdoses. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fudging the numbers too. I, re- I remember the last number. There yeah. was a 16, then a higher, and then for the month of May... Overdoses were up 42 yeah, percent. it was outrageous yes. over May yep. of the previous year.
2: Yeah, massive. We've never seen a jump like that.
1: Yeah, it's okay. huge. It's massive. Right? And, but how did we start out this pandemic? We started because, you know, I go to Google News every day and I search addiction. It's like been my ritual for, I don't
0: mm-hmm. know, 10,
1: 15 years. Yeah. Not even sure, a long time. And, um, Every story was, oh, my God, without meetings, people are going to relapse. Oh, my God, the isolation, the lack of connection that's going to happen because of the lockdowns. Addicts are going to relapse and they're going to fall apart. They're going to overdose. They're going to die. And it was just this was being screamed from
2: every media outlet. And here's what's crazy. It's taken hold so quickly and and taken as gospel that when the interviewers were asking me, I had to go along with the narrative in a way. I had to say yes, they are up because people are dying because of this belief. Yeah. But I had to also explain it doesn't have to be, it this, have way. To be this way. Exactly, it yeah. doesn't have to be this way. If, if people, if we hammered the idea, the truth that over ninety percent of people get over their drug problem. Uh, whether they're treated or not, when you factor in age, that statistic, I go over that in every single podcast. I mention that because nobody talks about that. Yeah. You know, and what would happen if everybody in a, in a position of responsibility in, in terms of addiction said that? Yeah. Right. Before they said it? Any other solution. Why are we not telling that most amazing, wonderful And, and what do they say fact?
0: instead? What do they say instead? They say, look to your left, look to your right. Oh, yeah. You know, only one of you is going to get this. The other two are probably going to be dead. You know, I mean, they they say the opposite. They say the opposite. And so I personally think, and it's not like we could go on an interview and say this, but I personally think the best thing that could have happened to the recovery community is that the meetings were shut down. Yes. It gives them a fighting chance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And imagine if we said this is two months where you can collect unemployment or however long it yeah. was going to be. I guess we only thought it was going to be two weeks, right? <laughs> we it always just another two just to, weeks. Just to flatten the
0: curve. Just another <laughs> Yeah, we all know that's bullshit now, right? <laughs> uh,
1: I thought, yeah, I mean, I literally stocked up on food. I thought everybody's going <laughs> to stay weeks. inside, but no, everybody went to the same store and passed the disease around. Everybody went to their local grocery store. Um, but, but, yeah, so I, I think... Um, but yeah, what if we started off the, this this pandemic saying, you know what? You get to collect unemployment with an extra 600 bucks, sit home, watch TV, relax, take the pressure off, and take this time to dry out if that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Oh, by the way, the FDA just made methadone and, uh, and buprenorphine a million times easier to get if that's what you need right. to do it. Yeah. Right. Like, do it. But instead, we we just kept screaming that everybody's gonna it? die, and you can't get it, and and this, like the um, you know the eating disorder thing, the suicides and everything, it becomes like oh my god, that's that's how I might go out, you know, that's what might happen to me. It's like it becomes yeah. a more real, it, it more truth. tangible mm-hmm. thing to you. The other thing I wanted to say about the eating disorders is. How powerful a narrative is, is that they didn't have eating this, uh, I think it was anorexia specifically. Yeah, with anorexia, they did not have more than a handful of cases forever. And the girls who had anorexia, they said, I feel like I can't eat, like it hurts. Like there's an obstruction. It just hurts me to eat. That's why I'm not eating. That's it. That was, that was all their explanation was. And it was like over and over again that was the explanation from the leading expert over there, right? And he's like, you know, all of a sudden we have this one case where this well-to-do girl wearing all this high fashion stuff dies in the street in uh, like Tokyo, I think it was. And there had been this like, oh my God, our, our children are copying America too much sort of narrative happening over there, this happens, they go, aha, it's the beauty standards of America in the West caused Mm. this girl to starve herself to death. Right. Right? And that was our narrative over here, too, right? You know so we we supported it. As soon as they adopted our narrative, they had an explosion in thousands of cases. And now everybody comes in saying, I feel the the beauty standards and the pressure to be fit. right? And their 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 explanation for it changes,
0: you know. We've seen the same thing with addiction. Well, was, yeah. With with when people come to the retreat, what is what is their reasoning for why they're struggling? I mean, nine eleven was a perfect microcosm of that yeah. because yeah. Yes. for the for the like the three or four years following nine eleven. You're like, we got a ton of first responders yes. and, and people from down around the city. And, you know, all of their, you know, it was always oh, my trauma. It's my trauma. And then when you really dig down and you're like, so you, you weren't drinking, you know, a, a 12-pack before nine eleven, And they're yeah. like, well, yeah, I was. yeah,
2: <laughs> Exactly. Know?
0: It's, it's yeah. Like, you drill down, it's like, no, you're not, you... This became a really good reason in an accepted narrative because that's what everybody was talking about.
2: Here's here's an example of how strange this gets. When the movie The Exorcist was popularized and oh, I guess it was 76, 75, 76, whenever it hit the theaters, they had a massive Massive. I don't know the numbers offhand. I'd have to look in the book. but Possessions? Uh, yeah. No. Well, yes, mental health clinics and mental all hospitals, right. mental illness yeah. hospitals filled up with people that felt they were possessed and or had a Jesus complex where they thought they were Jesus Christ. So it went one in two directions. Either they were possessed by the devil or they were Jesus Christ. And it was it. it became the butt of jokes, you know? Oh, you have a Jesus complex, Gosh, right? That's, that's where that all came from. And that was from a movie.
0: Yeah. That's, That's from the same movie. with the multiple personality. Yeah, Sybil. Yeah. And Sybil, yeah. Same era,
1: yeah. Ironically, and you know these, yeah. And the whole multiple personality disorder is a good example of the part that therapists play in it because it did explode with the movie Sybil, right? And all of these therapists were really excited about multiple disorder, multiple personality disorder and started finding it in yes. people everywhere, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. And there began to be all these papers generated about it and how to treat people with it. And I know I've brought this example up before, but, but one of the methods, if you think your patient has multiple personality disorder, set a bunch of chairs up around the room and ask them to talk from yes. a different personality yes. 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 in each chair. Yes. So essentially, the therapy ends up training you (laughs) on
2: on your multiple personalities to have multiple personalities. Yeah.
1: Right. Which you know, there's videos of that. And and that sounds outlandish, but it is exactly what happens in addiction treatment, where in they train you to look for pain, look for your emotional pain that triggered you to use, right? right? Look for the trauma that is at the core of your use. And what's his name? John Booth Davies did a study on this, and he asked, like, whenever you start asking those questions, people will find yeah, them you around, you know, they'll it. manifest it. But, you know, there was something about, he he, he did some kind of study where he showed that, that people will have these problems at other times that they're not relapsing. It's almost like the wrist-flicking uh, free will experiment where oh, if you yeah. look beyond the few seconds of, around the wrist flick, you'll find action potential again right. and again and again right. on which the wrist wasn't flicked. I'm sorry, that's esoteric. I no, can't no, that's, explain that's, that. Yeah, it's Jeffrey Schwartz's. But it's like yeah. if you yeah, if you expand, you're going to find these things at other times when they weren't relapsing, right? right. Like. Right. Or you know?
2: Or what about what about the narrative in treatment? Where you're here's a different example of of how you adopt a narrative. Let's say you get your first DWI like I did, and now you're in treatment. You're you're locked in treatment because you're mandated, right? Mm-hmm. You're you want to ma- get your license back. That's right. You want to get your license back. Now I had some other charges against me, so it was a little more serious. But um, so I'm sitting around this this room, locked in a mental hospital. Okay, so I would show up at eight o'clock in the morning. They, the door meh, buzzer goes on. It gets closed behind me. Now I'm in an atmosphere of a mental hospital, which is bizarre, by the way, because <laughs> uh, I wasn't crazy. And I'm sitting in a group with these people, and now we're, we're talking. There's massive pressure to start rewriting your history, to say it was worse than it was. And and I can remember looking around and th- having this this, uh, this therapist, right, this counselor. She sets the tone with what we're going to talk about today is uh, relapse prevention. And Mark, have you ever relapsed before? Now, I never framed it as a relapse. Have I drank before? Have I struggled with drinking? Yeah, right. I mean, there's a whole variety of reasons that I did what I was doing. All that was discounted. Now I'm talking about my drinking and not drinking in this frame of relapse. And then everybody starts puppeting that. And I remember thinking, I wasn't really, I didn't understand the research, right? But I remember thinking early on, God, this is weird. Yeah. God, this is this feels like it's I'm in a cult. Yeah. Because because I'm sitting here talking about shit that I don't really believe, but boy, I feel a lot of pressure to conform. Well, yeah, because
0: every single person is conforming. Yeah. Every single person and, and they're talking and you start to think am I crazy? Yeah. Like, am yeah. I the one that I, maybe I'm just not smart enough to get this yeah. or, you know, because yeah, I mean, just thinking about making a choice to, to drink a glass of wine as a relapse Yeah. is, is really absurd. I mean, yeah. that's a tiny example in the overall thing
2: you go through, but it's all those little pieces that you start to adjust. Your whole yeah. experience starts to adjust and, and, and then you become like that minion of the treatment experience, right? You just start puppeting everything. And here's what's equally crazy. I was sitting there, and I knew a couple of the guys in that room and gals mm-hmm. were getting drunk in the parking lot, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? They literally smell like weed and booze in group. <laughs> and, and they're talking about sobriety, and they're getting their chips. And, and I'm like, yeah. holy shit, this whole thing's a sham. It's yeah. a charade. It's crazy, mm-hmm. you know? I was a little more serious about it because you know my future was hanging in the balance, and I actually wanted to quit. Um, and even then, I was rewriting my history. It's it's very bizarre how a narrative will do that.
1: Yeah, and these words like relapse really matter, you know. Yeah. And there's people who um, study um, development and children and that kind of thing. They say from the the minute you're born, and actually even before you're born you're going through statistical learning. Like you're seeing things happen repeatedly in patterns and you're learning With before you can even talk. You're learning, right? Then the addition, but there's like one level of things that you can learn without words. But the minute you put a word to something, you can learn it that much quicker, Mm -hmm. right? For Mm -hmm. some reason in the brain, yeah, that like builds encodes the thing it. and it yep. builds it, it's a framework, right? And it, and it's something it's because it's like a sharing of knowledge. Mm-hmm. It has something to do with that, and so you get in there and they say, "Tell me about your relapse." and It's like, wait a minute, right? Yeah, like, it's weird. But now that that allows you to learn that much quicker. Yeah, that and your is- drinking is something that happens, right? Yeah, like the cancer coming back. Yeah, yeah,
2: because it's because it takes away the complexity of making the decisions to drink. A flat question like Mark, why did you relapse, is a lot more is a lot easier to answer in a group setting that's stressful than to say, Mark, tell us all the reasons why you made the decision and how did you end up crashing that car that night. I mean, that would be that would be a two hour talk yeah right I mean you know, do I ever talk about my family life the decisions I'm making the girlfriend that just broke up with me the, the, the yeah. and the fact that I loved booze and it fixed all my problems I thought and you know oh, yes. that's not the question though no the no, question it's was, automatically assumed yeah black and white boom why did you relapse you know I, I don't know I, I, I don't know that's yeah. my answer right now I feel the pressure and then it goes around the room I, I listen to that person's answer and I'm like mm-hmm. oh that's the answer okay yeah this is
0: what I'm supposed to say? Well, I read something the other day about the word relapse and that the disease of addiction is the only disease where the word relapse is used as a verb. Yeah. Where you relapse. With everything else, you have a cancer relapse. It's, it's a noun. It a cool. Because it happens to you. But when you, when with you addiction, actively <laughs> You actively <laughs> yeah. relapse. Actively relapse. I can't word. remember where I read it. I read it somewhere on social media. That's really
2: great. But yeah. yeah. Was, so what we're talking about is really like a social pressure, maybe, where you conform and you start to. To rewrite things in your mind. Yeah, but and it's it's more
1: than just a pressure. It's it like is. it's all
2: out there. This is what everybody else thinks.
1: Yeah. It must be right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I do. I do. I'm
2: watching it, well, with, it... With, the, with the masks right now. Whether whether it's good for you, bad for you. Whether you believe in it well, yeah. or don't believe in it. All that's tossed out. Well, yeah. It's you just do it because everybody else is doing but, it. And damn it, nameless faceless politician telling you to
1: do yeah. it. Yeah. But right at the beginning of the mask thing, they said, "Don't you dare wear a mask." <laughs> Right? You, know, <laughs> you won't know how to use it. Blah blah blah. And I saw my friends come out with knives on social media about anybody wearing masks. Like you don't need it. Yes. My best friend's cousin's sister is a nurse and she said mask won't help you, you know, and it was just like and you're an idiot, you're greedy, you're killing people, blah blah yes. blah. You know. And then it was like you have to wear it so
0: And then it turned on a dime. So
1: oh, yeah. we're yeah. you know, like regardless of whether any of that is right or wrong we see that these narratives come up and there's always going to be some people that follow along with whatever it is because the same people that were screaming at you for wearing a mask when at the beginning are now screaming at you if you don't wear a mask Mm -hmm. in a particular situation right Right? like that, that they think i mean well they think you should wear it in every situation we we saw the guy driving in the the car in front of us, all alone with the mask on. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I see a you lot like, of that. I just, know, yeah, <laughs> right? like, it's so strange. But
1: don't think you just need it on at all times. Don't don't ever assess risk it, and and go anywhere because hey, you got a mask and you're six feet away. But what about washing your hands? It, you know, right. it's all everything becomes focused on one thing. And well, I that's see,
2: but, but that's that's the way these narratives work because it's based in simplicity. Yeah, if you can get. A concept to be incredibly believable and simple without questioning, and you toss out all the human elements of free will, social structure, how people live their lives, their past experiences, their future that they're thinking about. You get rid of all that. Yeah. And then you just say, This is what you should do. Right. And then you get five people in a room to say, Oh, and you're the sixth, or maybe there's only two of you pretty difficult not to conform. Yeah. It sure is. It's pretty difficult not to conform. Now, I was always the kid that didn't conform. <laughs> well, I was too. I
1: told you the story about how I took the, the conformity yes. experiment in like one of my first social psych classes. I had no idea, and I didn't conform every time. Like, <laughs> she ran, the teacher ran the, the test They're like, Get several <laughs> times where everybody says the wrong answer ahead of me, and then it gets me. I'm like, uh, no, it's... Uh, It's A, you know, it's, but, but the only reason I, I acted that way, I think then is because I learned my big lesson with addiction. Yeah. Because that was, that was me at the new school in 2005. And just three years earlier, I, um, I had come here to the retreat and, um, learned very credibly that every, what everybody was telling me about addiction was bullshit and uh and you know you can throw that out yeah. you know and you can be yourself you, and you don't have to believe that right. and how rapidly i changed by doing by just throwing out that crap and saying oh yeah i'm going to focus on what's going to make me happier not on you know yeah I, like i'm not i'm not going to do this i need treatment for the rest of my life and just suck it up and be, you know, try to stay sober one right. day at a time. The, the I'm, like, I'm going to put that yeah. down for a while. I'm going to see if I can be happier, and, um, and and stop viewing this through lens of disease. Mm. That changed me radically, uh, and fast. And so, I guess when I encountered that situation in the classroom where they ran the conformity experiment, you're I like,
0: did, I'm not doing. I
1: it. didn't. You know, it wasn't. You know, there was no. There was no pressure on me to conform in a way. I was just like I was I was sort of freed up by the addiction experience. Yes, yes. And by me too. you know, by, by by the turnaround from it. But Yeah. But yeah, so I, I think we're I think right now if you if you state the facts about this overdose thing, you can say those people were right. Yes. The pandemic and the isolation from it caused the overdoses. And of course That because it
0: appears that way, right?
1: It appears that way because they did go up, Mm -hmm. but it's you know as
0: predicted. But
1: it's it's like it's like you know you can go to Japan and you know you could predict. Oh yeah, they're going to have bulimia from. I mean, they're going to they're going to have anorexia from Western beauty standards (laughs) or whatever. But it was only that way once the idea was inserted, and and I think that's what's happening here is when. We put it out there in the ethos, not in the, uh, it becomes, not the, in the it, ethos, in the ether, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, then it, it people, some people are always going to latch on, and it's become very real for them. And and I would like us to just put a better message out there. I wish the media would stop repeating this nonsense garbage. Well, let, that, let me know. let me then
2: reverse the nonsense in, as a closing statement, and uh, I think that. If our listeners are out there, whoever's listening, you can get over the problem. You don't have to conform. If you're sitting in group therapy in a rehab and you feel the pressure to play the charade, you can sit quietly and not play. You can also hold on to your own thoughts about why you get high, why you found it valuable, why you made that preference, and also that you can change that preference because eventually you will. That's what the statistics show. That you will get over the problem, whether you're treated or not, and that you can move on with your life. I always want to end the podcast with this positive message because that's reality. Yes. That's reality. Well, that's not the narrative. That's the reality.
0: And and be wary of awareness campaigns. Do not participate in them. The bulk of them cause problems. Yeah. Yeah. You know, anytime addiction awareness. Um, suicide awareness, and it's not that we can't talk about these things, but it's we can put them in a light of there are solutions. And that they're outliers,
2: that that suicide, as Steve was explaining, at the front end of these things... Yes, is one. ...is one, or let's say there's ten or a thousand nationwide. When you have three hundred and forty million people, that's not a lot of people. That's not to denigrate that that right. suicide is sad. We're not saying that. We're not saying that drug addiction isn't sad and and but and he, troublesome and troublesome. But it's important to put it in perspective,
0: right? And say yeah. this
2: isn't a an epidemic. Nope, it's not an epidemic. And an epidemic is if fifty percent or sixty percent of the population is killing themselves. Okay, that's an epidemic. Or twenty percent of a mass population is doing that. That's what epidemic means, not. You know, less than a percent, or whatever it might be, you know? Yeah. So you have to look at these things and put it in the context of what it is. Take, take each case. If I have somebody that commits suicide in my family, look at it for what that person made that decision, why they make that decision, and there's not much that, that can... That can uh, probably have changed that, you know, they yeah, made that decision, exactly. as, as difficult as that is. Well, yeah,
1: and don't necessarily accept the explanation. So, like, if we go back to that Palo Alto suicide thing, we don't know that she right. killed herself because of the pressure. That's you right. know, I, I don't think we, we don't, don't know. We don't know I'm what's going sure. on in her yeah. head. But, like, that is the explanation that's out here. And I think, you know,
2: and it popular... also, And it also doesn't mean that other people are feeling that way. Let's yeah. say it was. Let's say she did feel the pressure yeah. and that was a ma- major, doesn't mean that other kids are feeling the same.
1: Yeah. At all. Yeah. And um, I just want to mention about this too about the current, you know, increase is the foundation was laid for this by the popularity of the idea that um, Stress, addiction yeah. is caused by isolation and that the opposite of addiction is um, connection. 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 Right. I mean, and this was stated everywhere in all the articles that I saw yeah. at the beginning of the pandemic. I was reading this. I'm like, oh, my God, you know, they're just going to they are going to make this happen. And and before and the pandemic,
2: did. we addressed that issue in another podcast. You might look at that yeah. where, we, where we said that addiction, the opposite of addiction is diversity. Yeah. You know
0: okay i think we're done for today thank you so much for listening everyone if you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior issue or you want help moving past recovery as well we encourage you to call us at 888-424-2626 or you can reach us at thefreedommodel.org At that website, we offer many resources, including videos, these podcasts. Um, There are also e-books there. Um, You can get digital editions of our books as well. Um, And you can get them for free if you're a listener to this podcast. Use coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout for the Freedom Model for Addictions and FAMILY100 for the Freedom Model for the Family. Um, And paperbacks of our books are available on Amazon and other online retailers. And if you need detox. Oh, yes. Yes you need detox
2: and you're getting ready to move on with your life and you don't want to go through painful withdrawal, you can go to Gallus Detox. That's G-A-L-L-U-S Detox.com. We've worked with them for over a decade and they're fantastic at what they
0: do. Yes, and they will help you detox from methadone and buprenorphine. That's right. So thank you everyone. Until next time. All right, bye.